This recording has been produced by Christchurch, Jerusalem. For more information, visit us at cmj-israel.org. Father in heaven, we um, are indeed grateful that you've called each one of us here to worship you. We pray that uh, you will find our worship acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We pray that uh, you'll find the words and meditation of my heart also to be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. We ask that your word will challenge us and bless us and encourage us. We ask that your word will give us uh, guidance and direction and instruction, again, so that we can live lives that honor and please you and bring glory to your name. In Jesus' mighty name we ask, amen. Children, are there any kids today? We do have some in the corner. So let's um, begin. And um, where to begin is say that uh, liturgically, remind uh, all of us that liturgically we are in the seventh Sunday of Easter and uh, at the same time we just celebrated on Thursday or noted or remembered, I hope you did one of the, one of the above, uh, Ascension Day and uh, Ascension Day of course for many of us and, and uh, I have to confess for uh, for Christ Church as well, sometimes becomes a neglected uh, stepchild. And uh, we're not always sure what to do with Ascension Day. Uh, we sometimes uh, think of it in terms of um, Jesus being promoted for a job well done. And we, we don't think too much uh, beyond that. You know, this is the, you might say, the, his, uh, the pinnacle of his career. He gets to the ultimate um, he gets the ultimate promotion. But the, the holiday, of course, uh, the holiday, the, the, the event is really understood in the New Testament as an enthron- enthronement. Peter, very, just very early on after the resurrection in Acts chapter 3, can um, preach that um, Jesus, is ex- Jesus is exalted and sits down at the right hand of the Father. The writer of the book of Hebrews does the same, and certainly the, the book of Ephesians in chapter one and chapter two. So there is this aspect, more than this aspect, there is this reality that the, that the, that the ascension uh, is intimately connected to the um, enthronement uh, of Jesus. But, you know, I have a, um, a confession to make, and that is, is that preachers always have a challenge, especially when it comes to a holiday. And the challenge is like this. Do you preach the holiday, or do you preach the text? So let's look at the text, okay? Now, I think in the end, it's more rewarding. So we're going to look at Acts chapter 1, and then we'll go to Luke Uh, chapter 24 and um, I think there are just a couple things I'd like to highlight 
uh, and the text itself. So looking at Acts 1, um, says that um, Jesus um, showed himself to the, uh, to the apostles, that he gave many convincing proofs. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days, and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. Now, this is maybe the first thing I'd like to highlight is the centrality and the importance in this whole scheme of things of the understanding that Jesus has of the kingdom of God. And of course, if there's a kingdom, there has to be a king, does there not? And uh, of course, Jesus points to himself and proves uh, by his life and teaching that he is indeed the king. But I think what I suppose worries me uh, troubles me is that here Jesus would spend 40 days talking to his disciples, teaching his disciples probably about the thing that's the most important. That thing is this concept, this very rich, multifaceted concept of the kingdom of God. This is... Um, you may remember that uh, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is healing in Capernaum. And uh, it's Saturday night, and because the Sabbath is over, many people are bringing uh, the sick for, for Jesus to heal. And he heals them all. And he goes away in the evening uh, and in the early morning uh, to pray. And everyone goes out looking for him. And they say, Jesus, stay with us. You've got to stay with us. And Jesus says, I can't stay with you. I have to go to other towns and villages because the reason I was sent is to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God. You look through the text. Jesus says, yeah, the most seek first his kingdom. Seek first his kingship, his ruling and reigning. Then all your personal needs will follow. Or you look at how many times Jesus talks about uh, entering the kingdom, entering the kingdom, entering the kingdom. Now maybe because we don't live in a world of king and queens anymore, we're not serious king and queens. Um, I'm not talking about the ones that appear on postcards for tourists. Because we don't live in that world anymore, we don't take it seriously. And our language, especially as Christians, doesn't re reflect the reality of what Jesus taught. So we talk about being saved, which rarely, something rarely appears in the New Testament. We talk about being born again, not against being born again, but you're only born again in order to see the reality of the kingdom of heaven. Being born again is not the end in itself. Yes, we talk about letting Jesus into our heart and all kinds of things. I'm, I don't, they, they work. I'm not saying that they're somehow illegitimate, but it doesn't reflect the spiritual reality of Jesus. And our teaching and our preaching is so far away from, uh, you know, from what was central and important to Jesus. Forty days he teaches them. 
And for 40 days, he's not talking to them, talking to them about the principles of church growth. <clears throat> or, you know, how to uh, raise a capital campaign. Yes. Or how to start effective small groups. I mean, all that is, is, is again, it's, all of that can be important. But what's central to Jesus is this notion and this idea that God now through Jesus himself has entered the world and is starting to take control, okay? And is starting to exercise authority and sovereignty and dominion like, he's, like it's never happened before. And wherever Jesus is and wherever, that he, wherever he is present, at one time physically, now by the power of the Holy Spirit, he brings redemption, does he not? He brings repentance and he brings healing of human sin and brokenness, physical healing. He brings deliverance from the devil. He brings reconciliation into families and communities, not only individuals. That all of this happens wherever Jesus is present. That uh, Jesus is, um, again, beginning to take control. And where we give him, where we say yes to Jesus, there we have the kingdom of heaven. That's the Lord's Prayer. There's a parallelism in the Lord's Prayer. And that parallelism says, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Where do we find Jesus ruling and reigning as king? Where people are doing his will. So 40 days he teaches them about the kingdom of heaven. That's the emphasis. Could it not be our emphasis as well? That we would study what the kingdom of heaven means, that it would be our passion, that it's something that we would concern ourselves with, and we would see how it fits with discipleship or evangelism, because it fits. That's the first. The second thing in this text is that, of course, in the gospel and in the book of Acts, Jesus says, wait, wait. Wait to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. And I almost feel that uh, today we live in a, and many of us, not all of us, we live in a post-Pentecostal age because of maybe the abuses of the charismatic movement and the tumult of some of the charismatic movement that we somehow have minimized or put away the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, for the kingdom of heaven to work, it has to be fueled. <clears throat> it has to be empowered. It has to be moved by the Holy Spirit. Jesus makes it really clear, does he not? When he's talking to those Pharisees, uh, his buddies, by the way, you know, dissident buddies, but people, people in the same movement that he was, and he says to them, you know, if I cast out demons, by Matthew says, by the Holy Spirit, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or when he's in that synagogue in Nazareth, one of the most beautiful passages in the Gospel of Luke, and he sits down and he says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me to bring good news to the poor and to set the captive free. 
and so on. How is all that going to happen? Jesus himself does it through the power of the Holy Spirit. There is, by the way, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, he says the kingdom of God is not about talking. And it's not about sermons. It's not about podcasts. Yeah, the kingdom of God is not about church growth programs and discipleship programs. And those can be good. The the essence of the kingdom of God is that we're talking about power, the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we're either afraid of this or we're hesitant or whatever. But we need to rediscover in our community to be baptized afresh. And I don't want to get too technical or too theological. We need to be filled afresh with the Holy Spirit. And not only do we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit, we need to keep the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a gift that God gives us. But keeping the presence of the Lord, keeping the Spirit of Jesus strong in our lives will depend on the way we behave. And again, as we mentioned, uh, I think last week or the week before, Ephesians chapter 4 makes that clear. You can grieve the Spirit. You know, you don't have a community, you know, full of backbiting and gossip and immorality, you know, and be praying, you know, for revival and and the filling of the Spirit. If the Spirit comes, He'll direct us to put those things away. But for us who know better, yes, if we want to keep a full measure of the Holy Spirit, then it will depend in part on our behavior. So Jesus tells those disciples, wait. Wait. Now they return uh, one more thing. In verse 11, verse 9, I'll just say this before we... Verse 9, they, ask the, they pop the question, Jesus, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Come on, where are the promises? Hundreds of promises in the Hebrew Bible that you made to Israel and the Jewish people. Come on now, when's it going to happen? We want to know. And after all, Jesus said just a few weeks before, he told them, he said, Jerusalem will be trampled down by the Gentiles. But one day, the the time of the Gentiles will come to an end. I hope soon, because Gentiles are causing a lot of trouble in the world today. The time of the Gentiles will come to an end. And then there will be this this restoration of one kind or another. I'm not going to try to define it because I'm not sure what. And so many people take this, uh, many people, many scholars and preachers, you see, God is done with all this. God is done with Israel. God is done with the Jewish people. And Israel, I'm not talking about the, the, the people of Israel collectively, not necessarily the state of Israel, although that might be included. God is finished with all this. And now it's all going to be about universal. It's all going to be about, you know, it's nothing to do with uh, these, these promises that God make. Can I remind you 
my dear friends. May I remind you that when we talk about God, we talk about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We're not talking about the force in Star Wars. We're not talking about a God from India or a God, <coughs> or a God from, uh, you know, a pagan God of North America. Can I remind you, yes, that when we talk about the scriptures, we're talking about the Hebrew scriptures, yes? Can I remind you that when we talk about the Messiah, that we're, we're talking about Jesus Christ, we're talking about the Messiah promised to Israel. Can I remind you that Jesus said that salvation is from the Jews? Yes, that the New Testament is the new covenant given to the house of Judah and to the house of Israel. <clears throat> there's no way to divorce this. And there's no way that God in some way and in some time in some place is not going to keep his promises to the Jewish people. You can say, but yes, we're talking about the, every part of our message is basically Jewish. The idea of God being a king, yes, uh, and ruling and reigning uh, in the lives of people or being filled with the Holy Spirit, it's a Jewish message. And very interestingly, perhaps, I, I, I think it's interesting, where does Luke's gospel begin? It begins in the temple. Where does it end? It ends in worship in the temple. Where does it open? Very likely, and, uh, and I've come to this view painfully, painfully over the years. They, people have twisted my arm, beaten me up, and tasered me. But uh, what, were the disciples really in an upper room? Or were they on the temple mount somewhere? And did the Holy Spirit not fall upon them in the temple? And just as the Holy Spirit left the temple with Ezekiel, it came back, you know, on the day of Pentecost. Yes. Um, so the, how, does the book of, <coughs> how does the book of Acts end? It ends, it doesn't end. But it ends with Paul discussing with the Jewish people, okay, the, the claims of Jesus and the kingdom of God. That's the last chapter of Acts, meaning Acts is still continuing. And that, that uh, witness to Israel, not just the nations, <coughs> still continues. How does all this work out? The return of the Jewish people, the rise of the state of Israel, the Holocaust, what does all this mean? We may never fully know in our lifetime because we only know these things by hindsight. The disciples only knew that Jesus was the Messiah after his death, his humiliation, his resurrection, and his ascension. Then he opened their eyes to the scriptures and then they could see. So it's maybe only a hundred years from now that we'll know what, I won't be living that long, but at least I don't think so. Um, according to Google, you can now put in all your health information and they'll tell you on the exact day you're going to die. I don't recommend it, by the way. It could, could lead to pessimism. <laughs> I don't know... In a hundred years, we'll know maybe better what all this is about. But God has not severed himself, yes, from the Jewish people. 
And God in some way will keep his promises to them. And just because Jesus doesn't answer the question directly doesn't mean that it can be dismissed and thrown away. Now I'd like to um, just draw our attention to maybe two more things from the uh, gospel passage itself. That is from Luke 24. Um, It's a very wonderful passage to read. And of course, Luke uh, twice mentions the uh, ascension of Jesus. And um, I think, again, it's also important uh, to keep in mind that um, several times before this talks about how Jesus uh, opened their minds to the scriptures, how he taught them the principles of uh, being able to uh, interpret the scripture, explaining his death and uh, his resurrection, okay, from uh, the very passages uh, that they were familiar with. And then he um, says that from the scripture, the Messiah will suffer and rise again on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send what my father uh, has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. And then Jesus goes out to the Mount of Olives, to Bethpage, um, to the vicinity of Bethany. He's lifted up. And uh, the context of Jesus ascending to the Father, by the way, he's not leaving us. He's ascending to the Father because in Trinitarian terms, he must return to the Father. He must return to the Father uh, to, be with, uh, to be with his Father. But uh, he is, of course, sending us his spirit. Um, and there are many advantages, as we uh, all know, to, to having the Holy Spirit. And the language of this passage, uh, at least in Greek, smells and looks very similar to... Um, the, um, the Septuagint, the, the uh, Greek Bible that Jewish people used in the time of Jesus when it talked about Elijah going to heaven and leaving his spirit for Elisha. Well, there's a, a, certainly a, uh, a similarity there. And so as Jesus begins uh, his return to the Father, um, he, he blesses them. Here we have an act of uh, priestly act, uh, which makes us perhaps think of the priesthood or or think of uh, the temple. So Jesus raises his hands uh, and he blesses them. And it says that uh, he's taken to heaven. And here's what I think interests me the most. Because in this gospel and in Luke's gospel, with the end of the ministry, sorry, Matthew's gospel, as well as Luke's gospel, with the end of this, the ministry of Jesus here, what, what, what is the reaction of the disciples? What do they do? It says that the disciples worship, that the proper response to, to this is indeed worship for all these things which have happened. First, by the way, it mentions joy. And uh, all throughout Luke's gospel, there's this um, 
this emphasis that when God does something, when God reveals his glory through a miracle, usually through miracles or through uh, uh, some kind of uh, incredible event, it says that people are full of amazement and they're full of joy. And so I think maybe the first is to stop here for a second and ask us, does the life of Jesus and the giving of the Spirit and the, and the things that uh, he requires us to do, what is our reaction to this, especially after being Christians for many years? Is it like, oh, yeah, I've got to do a job. Yeah, it's my duty. You know, it's just something I'm required to do. And I hate witnessing to people, you know, and I don't like making a fool of myself, okay? Uh, or when we think of the ascension or the, even the, the glorious resurrection, uh, the humiliation of Jesus on the cross, is all this like, oh yeah, I repeat this in a creed every Sunday. And we can become very jaded and it becomes very distant and it becomes something very irrelevant. And in the words of a very famous American, actually Polish Jewish philosopher, we've lost our sense of wonder. We lost our sense of amazement with Jesus, with his life. And we need to recover that. We need to read these texts and be full of joy. We need to be, read these texts and be full of wonder. We need to be amazed, which is an overworked word in the United States, awestruck by, by what Jesus has done and what he's doing in our life. And the only way to recover that is to ask God to, to help us with our cynicism or to help us with uh, being, uh, being jaded or being overly familiar okay, with these texts and these realities and to ask us to return <clears throat> or to restore in the, that, uh, that joy or that gratitude uh, that probably most of us once had when we, were, when we were first believers. So the disciples are full of joy, but also they worship. Same as when Jesus gives a great commission in Matthew 28. <clears throat> the disciples worship him. And here they're worshiping Jesus, which not only tells us that these Jewish men uh, uh, who are very monotheistic believe that Jesus is a divine figure or that uh, or believe in the divinity of Jesus no no question um, but the, the question I think or the or the context of all of this pro- I would hope would cause us to think um, because they're both given uh, at the same time the great commission is given where Jesus is sending out the disciples. It's very Trinitarian. Is it not the Father has sent Jesus? Now Jesus is going to, uh, Jesus is going to send us. And with that, um, uh, you might say, with the great commission, with the, uh, the commandment that Jesus gives us to go out, okay, there's worship Now, why would there be worship? And I think there's worship because the goal of the Great Commission, the goal of preaching forgiveness of sins in the name of Jesus is not just to get people saved. 
and not to save people from uh, uh, eternal damnation, however we understand that, because there are rewards and punishments uh, in the world to come, or not to get people into heaven. By the way, our goal, our destination is not to float around on a cloud playing a harp for all eternity. Yes, our destination is a new heaven and a new earth. Yes, that's our ultimate destination. What is the purpose? Mission, someone once said, only exists for worship. What will we be, at, one, at some stage in the future, making disciples, preaching, uh, partnering with the Holy Spirit to expand the kingdom of heaven, all of that will come to an end. What will remain for all eternity? Those who are redeemed will be standing around the throne, worshiping, worshiping, worshiping. And here, I think, um, certainly reflects uh, God's love for the nations, for the people, uh, the peoples of this world, all the families of this world. God wants to be reconciled and restored to us and the right relationship, of course, is love. Now, worship, and I'd like to close with this, I'd like to simply remind you that worship is more than singing. Worship is more than praise. Unfortunately, in the time in which we live and in the, uh, a great deal of emphasis is indeed put on singing. It's very nice. But to worship is to, um, is to honor somebody with love and submission. And I, again, just like to remind us that there is no worship or there is no love without obedience. And um, I'd just like to re- close with two scriptures. And uh, one is in Deuteronomy, for so we have a witness from the Old Testament and the New Testament. It says, I call upon heaven and earth as witnesses against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live and that you may love the Lord your God. Listen to his voice and hold fast to him. For the Lord is your life and he will give you many years in the land. So here, holding fast to the Lord and holding and listening to his voice uh, is an act of love, which by the way is at the very heart uh, of worship. You know, we sang the song, take me back to the heart of worship. Heart of worship uh, is love, but love brings obedience or love results in obedience. And here from 1 John, a similar theme, similar point. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God to obey his commands. And his commands are not difficult, okay? For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes 
that Jesus is the Son of God. So in the ascension, Jesus is being enthroned. Yes, our response is to worship. Our response is to keep in mind that whatever program we have or whatever theology we have, what will remain for eternity is worship. And I'd like to close with a verse that uh, most of you know very well. Jesus loved this verse. He applied it to himself. And maybe we can apply it to ourselves. Um, in the following way. It says, in my vision at night from Daniel chapter seven, I looked and there was one like a son of man coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. Here we're talking about Jesus. We're talking about the son of man. And the son of man is constantly who Je- uh, the uh, phrase that Jesus uses to refer to himself. Now who is this son of man? He is given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples and nations and men of every language worshiped him. Yes, because Jesus is the king. He deserves worship. Yes. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. And his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So my dear friends, if we want to celebrate the ascension, we want to take it seriously. And it does come in the package, you might say, of the Great Commission. Then our response is to be obedient. Because obedience is the heart of worship. Yes, and to give him the praise and honor and glory that is due his name. Lord, we ask that you help us because so often than not, we are uh, weak. And as we prayed earlier, we're distracted. Lord, we can be lazy. Places in us, Lord, that are unredeemed. And we ask that uh, you would work uh, in the lives of each one of us so that we can indeed offer you true praise and true worship and obey you and be pleasing to you. We ask this for your sake. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page or leaving a review in iTunes. You can offer practical support to Christ Church Jerusalem by clicking the Donate Now button on our Facebook page. Thank you and blessings from the City of the King.